Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Did the Reading Pod. We did the reading, so you don't have to. This week we're talking about Fahrenheit 451. But before we do that, Jess, what have you been up to this week? I have been doing much of the same, really. Some baking. I'm trying to get back into running with kind of predictably poor results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing some collaging, which is very like throwback to kind of 15-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Like you can't put a magazine down in this house for more than two minutes or I'll take some scissors to it. Which she is immediately quite fun. begins collaging. Precisely. She's unstoppably. I couldn't tell you what I'm producing besides a slightly more interesting door of my wardrobe, but Very it's whiling away the hours, which I think mm. is enough <laughs> at this point of <laughs> this point in time. Um, what have you been up to, Abby? Well, you know, I have sort of, I like reached a bit of a point of, I don't know what to do with myself. So I started making earrings, as you know. Um, I do love this. And sort of created a collection of earrings, um, which is going fabulously. I started weaving little bracelets, which I used to do quite a lot when I was about 14. But I got infinitely worse out. I don't remember them looking so bad. Like, they just look so bad. But anyway, as you say, it fills time. Also, the skateboarding career has had to be put on pause. Because unfortunately, last week, I fell off the skateboard quite dramatically. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, skating up a slight incline. And um, there was, like, a kid and her mum cycling past. And I was like, can't fall off the skateboard. And then um, I fell off really dramatically, cut my hand open. <laughs> and, um, Mom was like, the local youths. are you all right? And I was like, <laughs> just didn't want anything too dramatic to happen, lol. And then, you know, immediately afterwards, I was like, what does that mean? And then I like, had to go inside and be like, behold my bloodied palms. <laughs> Mom was like, okay. <laughs> Um, and talking of people um, expressing their grief in weird ways, um, Fahrenheit 451. Was this the first time you've read Fahrenheit 451? Uh, it is. I also read it on Kindle because I'm a cheapskate and we were working to a tight schedule. Um, mm. So it always goes in slightly differently <laughs> like I feel mm. like if I can't see a cover like I don't want to be that English student but if I can't see a cover and like hold it then my brain just kind of is like well time to check out slightly um okay. but yes it was the first time how about you yeah I mean uh I had not read it before um I was excited to read it because you know all you ever seem to talk about on these podcasts is the hundred books you need to read before you die list one time it's been like eight times and people have missed it because it's been on other podcasts that didn't come out the forbidden podcasts but um (laughs) so i was like i just gotta read this i gotta read this it'll be fun i mean i think it suffers from that thing where now in a way it is the kind of original dystopian like it is basically the blueprint for so many other major dystopian novels we read today i mean like stuff like i don't know divergent hunger games stuff mm-hmm. like that takes quite a lot from it and i was obsessed with young adult dystopia when i was i don't know like for my entire teen years so basically yeah, i've read fun. every dystopia under the sun so then i read Not it now and i'm like <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> kind of an expert in this but yeah i mean like so then i was like Ugh, derivative and then I was like oh this was the original do you know what I mean (laughs) yeah a little bit although it was what was it 1953 I want to say from my like friends she's read Wikipedia 
yeah exactly um i don't know i feel like things like uh hg wells maybe do a better job of world setting a bit like i feel like when i read it i was quite i mean like i did try and read it very quickly and on kindle Mm. as mentioned but like i was quite like almost disorientated for a lot of it like um i read somewhere he wrote it in nine days like he hired a typewriter by the hour it's quite like a relatable experience production experience but yeah i don't know but I think also, like I was reading in his afterword, also available on the Kindle edition, that he wrote the original, like, so he'd written several short stories that kind of inspired, yeah. that shaped several moments in it. And then he, um, like, bashed out 25,000 words in nine days. And then he went to his publisher and his publisher was like, we want 50,000 words and then we'll publish it. And so he bashed out another 25,000 in nine days. And I think in places it was clear that part of it was not relevant to the story so much as picking up that word count, which I think we can all relate to. I was going to say, this is what happens when I send you my essays, and you're like, hmm, I can tell you wrote this one after like three pre 10 a.m. cups of coffee, but thank you. Like, thank you for sharing. Um, no, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it. But I mean, okay. let's let's start on our five minutes. Did you want um, to give us a summary? Oh, okay. I shall give a summary. Okay. I'm sorry. I forgot to do that. Okay, okay. the listeners accept your apology. I apologise to you personally. Um, okay, so Guy Montag is our protagonist, and he is a fireman, but not in the way you would expect. He actually sets fire to things. Crazy. Oh my god, it's so dystopian. Anyway, so he like burns lots of books because the society he lives in is like no books. Books are the worst. And um, so he's been like burning all these books for ages. And then when he's walking home one day, he runs into this girl called Clarice, Clarice, who knows? Um, And she's like, oh my God, I'm so indie. I'm always like, ooh, I love the rain. Ooh, bare soil beneath my feet. And he's like, oh my God, Clarice, you are so out there. Stop it. And then one day she like goes missing. And this is uh, a couple of days after he has witnessed someone else dying. So he feels disorientated and like, I need to give purpose and shape to my life. So... He's been stealing books. He's got books up in his vent. He's like, this is an absolute bloody free-for-all. It's book time. And then <laughs> and then, um, uh, his boss finds out that he's got books and he's like, you know what, bro? Like, I get it. I do get it. We all go through it. But um, I would recommend that you do not do that. Um, it's just not a good idea. And Guy's like, God, dad. And so then sort of guys thinking about getting rid of the books and then he's like do you know what actually i will not be doing that and he like his wife has some people over and he shows them the books and they're all like what and then guy goes to work and then he's like oh we've got another call sorry this has got quite like sequential but i will i've got to tell you the details no i'm enjoying this please carry on and so they get a call out but like it's not like somebody's house on fire it's like we need to burn this shit and he's like, well, where are we going? And they're like, surprise, bitch, it's your house. And he's like, what the f- That's insane. Anyway, so then he um, picks up uh, like one of his books and he jogs over to his friend's house, who is Faber, who he's sort of been kind of hanging out with a little bit throughout the book because this guy used to be a literary professor and he's always like, uh, books, we both get it. And um, Faber's like, nice but i will not be dying for you so um pop on this shirt and head on out of here so guy heads off he floats off down the river and um as he's doing so 
he witnesses like nuclear fallout because basically the war has started and ended in the same time that he has been there. And uh, he arrives at this camp of people who used to be literary professors and are all like, we've got to remember the books because the books are what it's, what it's about. And Guy's like, that is a very valid point. And they watch on TV and they see that they pretended to catch somebody who's not Guy because it will save time. And Guy's like, great. And then they wander off into the darkness. And that is the end. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that was not brief, but um, it's almost <laughs> like you've read the book yourself. And I, yes. it's definitely quicker than the Wikipedia summary, which was like incredibly long. Really? Look at the Wikipedia page earlier. Like they've broken it down into like the three or four sections of the book. And then each one is basically the length of that entire section. I'm like, the book is only 50,000 words long. Why is this summary like 10,000 of them? I'm not trying to be a hater. Anyway, now I shall get on to the fun, groovy task of these five minutes. Okay. Why does Clarice matter? I want me to explain why what my thinking was in expressing this question. Yes, so that I can answer something other than just I. <laughs> and it was very clear. I mean, like, I think the reason I asked was in the beginning, I sort of thought she is supposed to be a kind of catalyst for the change we're going to see in Guy. And actually, though, from the outset, we see he's got books hidden in the vent. And so he's already got books in his house. So why does it matter that she is there when we already know that he is starting to sort of uh, disobey this societal structure? And yeah. we're kind of basically she kind of becomes an external representation of this disobedience but and then she just randomly gets written out like two pages later Mm. yeah I'm not sure because I think I think she is a catalyst but then also like in most dystopian novels the the protagonist is usually like oh I feel so I feel like different but it's just me and then the prompt to action is then finding that it's not just them and Mm. there's I mean like community is a bit of a bold term for like two people but you know what I mean and that's what's then the catalyst to action and what is dangerous for these different and oppressive structures or whatever um but yeah she does disappear like alarmingly fast and Mm. i think doesn't she in the screenplay and something else that's written afterwards he makes it so that she survives or just like doesn't die well, I don't know. I mean, like, I was reading about the Michael B. Jordan adaptation, which was 2018. Mm-hmm. And in that, she's a love interest, which I was like, yucky. Because she's like, what, 15 in the book? Yeah, she's a child. give or take. Oh, how about then? Given she isn't a love interest, do you, like, how would it have been different if she was, like, a small, a small, a young boy? Like, do you think mm. the purpose in the novel would have been any different? I feel like in a lot of ways the book kind of counteracts in inverted commas like hard power aggression nuclear war Mm. capitalist structures as masculine like underground rebellion even like the act of reading the act of books the act of consumption as a kind of feminine sphere so i feel like that's why clarice has to be feminine because as guy is like the ultimate man within this structure if he was also a boy there would be a sense that he was going to grow into that structure and also adopt what it represented yeah i think she is like a she's also a kind of symbol of innocence and like 
Mm. Having not lost the values of... When you read dystopian novels, there's always the sense that you know almost more than the people in it do. And so then the values that you supposedly hold, um, empathy, curiosity, Mm. da-da-da-da-da, are then held by her. And I feel like that, I don't know, that's probably like easier to fit into a girl than anything else. Yeah, I agree. We've actually only got 14 seconds left, so we'll just stop it and turn over. I'm going to reset. She has the power. Is Fahrenheit 451 basically trapped or too hot to handle or Big Brother? (laughs) Okay. Um, What's trapped? I don't want to be that person. You are the saboteur. You must have watched that. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, we can cut that off. Uh, okay, um, um, we're on it, we're on it. The reason I picked those shows was, firstly, Too Hot to Handle, kind of funny, funny, right? But also, like, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of, like, Foucauldian shit where they all start getting into, like, we've got to uphold this thing even though there are no real, like, obvious spheres of power. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, and then, like, the reason I said Big Brother is obviously a surveillance state... And then the reason I said trapped was, you know, that idea of him being a saboteur within his midst, but the fact that his sort of sabotage is in itself something that it feels like it's been put on him by the outside. Like, it's a very controlled mode of sabotage. I mean, even he goes off and joins a community, we've all done the same shit. Like, Yeah, because his his approach is like, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to go around every single fireman's house and, like, plant books in it. And this is flawless. And it's like, um, I don't know if that's Ever true. heard of fingerprinting guy? That's Evidently not. But also that it, because of the surveillance state aspect of it, like he barely has to think anything or like say anything to his wife. Yeah. And then suddenly the fire master, what the hell is his name? Beatty? Beatty? Yeah. I don't know what his like job description is. Anyway, he... <laughs> what do they call him on LinkedIn? <laughs> <laughs> he just like rocks up and it's like I think you might have books in your vent and it's kind of like well not even he just does this weird kind of power play but also I, like do they not have to do any investigation do they just roll up at any address like could I just be like a massive bitch and be like um I heard Jess had a book and they're just like we've got nothing for it and then they just go like, <laughs> fire hose your house <laughs> like yeah I'm suddenly like stood amongst the ashes and they're like oh Oh, we got the wrong postcode. <laughs> it's like, oh god, they meant next door. Sorry, uh, sorry, this is sorry, so awkward. We're just heading around. around here, like, oh, bad. Um, <laughs> You're like, you wouldn't believe how confusing it was. And like, your house name is not very visible. Like, <laughs> obviously, Hermes driver. Okay, um, let's get back on track. Um, so it could be like you know that bit in Love Island where they've all got to like say stuff that, like they know will like undermine their relationships. I don't know. I'm just thinking of, you know, those bits where they have to like do the tweets and they're like, I bet it was Mora. And they're all like, how could you say that about me? And that's the only <laughs> way they become popular. It's sort of like that. Only I didn't make the point very well. And uh, I really miss Love Island. So I just wanted to bring it back to that. And I can't believe it's got cancelled. That's OK. We will allow this kind of brief moment. Interlude. Of... OK. This is a Goodreads review and it says, that's a no from me. 
If I wanted to be lectured for five hours about the mindless youth of today by a sexist white dude, I could look at some Facebook comments instead. I do relate, I have to say. I think a lot of it was very, like, TV bad energy. Do you know Um, what I mean? A lot of it did have the energy of, like, a self-important, like, I read books, therefore I'm 22 times better than you. Yeah. Kind of aspect to it. And it's like, and then the kind of, like, more modern or like perhaps more like recognizable like opposite of that and when people are like i i actually don't watch tv i think it's a useless waste of time or whatever and it's like yeah what <laughs> um so yes i think a lot of that is true i think it's kind of it's one of those where i don't know i feel like last week we were talking about like the longevity of classics or whatever and i think you yeah. can definitely appreciate the kind of like impact and foundations that something had or like gave yeah without necessarily being like would 10 out of 10 recommend every one of my kind of like 22 year old friends to read this yeah and i think the thing is in a lot of ways a lot of the stuff it has to say about censorship and stuff continues to be relevant and important and if it's not you know book burning it i don't know free with the press continues to be a big one however i think it does fall into that trap where particularly i think one of the big issues with it I read a New Yorker article which was talking about it and it said, like, it's so futuristic, but, um, like, all the sexual politics are still from the 1950s and they have not changed. Like, yeah. Even as basically as Mildred gets herself called Mrs. Montag by the TV or or the fact that she, like, invites her friends around and they're like, and guys like, that's so stupid. All they want to do is watch TV. I'm like, me too. Like, have you not watched a good Netflix series lately? Let me introduce you to a couple of things. Yeah, but I think also it's deciding that, like, one medium is more important than the other. Mm. And, like, I think you can read mindless books just as much as you can watch mindless TV. Yes, yeah. And I don't think that's, like, particularly groundbreaking a point to make. But no. it's just, like... But I also think, like, the idea that any other mode of um, consuming media is mindless is in itself like, a massive accessibility issue from, like, mm. so many perspectives. And, like, I feel like so many of us, like, our first introduction to, you know, stories was through them being read to us or watching TV or whatever. Like, I mean, I still remember when I was, like, four, stood on the front row and them giving us hymn books and I genuinely couldn't read it. I was, like, stood they're like, like <laughs> and they were like Mariah <laughs> yeah but you know what I mean like it wasn't like I had never consumed a story before just because I hadn't read a book definitely one way to make that point <laughs> I just think about that all the time do you know what I mean and I used to listen to do you remember the Lord of the Dance song I do and you it, sung it to me <laughs> several times. Yeah, it's like the Lord of the Dance said he, and I like only ever learned it by listening to it. And I thought it was the Lord of the Dance said he for like five years, <laughs> and I was like, that seems unusual to bring a sofas into it. But you never know, do you? I really don't know why. So I had to sit with that for a second. Actually, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, pick a lot of literature, and you could <laughs> you could apply that. Yeah, um, yeah. but I think like a lot of the literature that you can apply to it's kind of like about isolating the value that you do get from it yeah i agree um like like i'm not saying you necessarily have to like yeah you don't necessarily have to do the work of being like i must read this and enjoy it but Mm. i still think it's like you said it's like interesting to look at and i think um of out of so many different like genres of literature, looking at the ways in which dystopian fiction has changed is one of the most interesting things to look into. 
Like yeah. I like I mentioned Wells earlier because we did it on my course last term. But looking mm. at dystopian fiction from like the nineteen twenties is so interesting. Mm. Yes, that's my very. Can elaborate, or are you just like it? It is. It is interesting. Not least because I feel like you always do that inevitable thing of going through it and mentally being like, oh, they got this, 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 and this right, and they got this, 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 and this wrong, vastly wrong, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, like um, reading, like dystopian fiction is is something which you might imagine is kind of quite universal. But then almost by dint of that, it like reading like gender politics or class politics into it is yeah. actually really not that difficult. And basically no. like constructing like a dystopian society is inevitably going to bring to light your own kind of like, yeah, class and gender politics. Oh, right. Jess, you've got one you wanted to bring in here. And so I shall yeah. allow you to do that. Oh, that's very, very <laughs> democratic of you. Um, this one, so yes. never again. <laughs> I just saw there was like a relatively, I want to say relatively recent, I, I mean maybe like the past year, republication of Fahrenheit 451 where they had the spine looked like that bit on a matchbox and then they... Oh my God, I saw that. It's and each amazing. thing came with like a little match, which may or may not have been a pencil. I may have made that up, but basically my point was that then it's age is like really clever and I wanted to mention it because it's cool but also I wanted to ask you as a fellow English student how you like treat your books like if you have you listened to the uh, your booked podcast by Daisy Buchanan it's so good no I haven't although I'm obsessed with the fact her name is Daisy Buchanan but yeah carry on anyway and she basically just like talks to people usually in their homes but obviously at the moment that's complex um but she goes around and, and, and illegal we'll report you to the police and she kind of talks about even just like how people arrange their bookshelves and like the ones they keep and the ones they lend and stuff so essentially what are your attitudes to like lending books how do you treat your books do you keep your books even after you've read them are there some that you'll like never give away I just feel like this would be a fun interlude in the middle (laughs) I think it will be I mean I think I really hoard books like honestly I mean obviously the house got packed up a while ago and I had to re-unload my books last week and I had nine boxes of books in the garage and it's like why do I need nine boxes of books but I love to be surrounded by them um I do not treat books very well I always read in the bath always (laughs) fold the corners I would happily give away basically any book because I would rather that someone else enjoyed it so I could talk to them about it. Mm. And I mean, at times that's really good, but then at other times I lend it to people and then I never get it back and they don't read it, which is just... That is the worst. It's like there's nothing more aggravating than you're like, you'll love this. And they're like, haha, cool. And then you see it like gently rotting on their bookshelf. And I'm like, this isn't actually an ornament. I'm not trying to be a hater. It's not an ornament. If you're listening to this and Abby's recently lent you a book, you know. <laughs> and when who I you say are. recently, I mean there are a couple of you Abby's out there. Abby's going back to like when we're since talking fifteen years a year old. and a half. Some of these books have been been out there. <laughs> That's on the a streets. specific number. Um, I didn't want to overstate it, <laughs> but. I mean, you're very good at lending books. You always do. And I must I'm getting confess worse, that. though. I'm getting, like, cynical in my old age. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... If if I lend them and I won't get them back... Because, again, I only lend ones where I'm like, this is a piece of my soul and you must mm. love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And I'm suddenly like, oh, this must be what it feels like to like, 
send your child off to its first day in nursery. <laughs> Terrified. <laughs> Except they may never return. <laughs> your child remains at nursery forever and none of the teachers talk to it. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. But I also fold corners. I really like that. Like I like rereading something and being like, oh, like three years ago, I thought this page was really interesting. Yeah. I don't mind folding corners and I can't deal with unbro- unbroken spines either. I have to like oh, crack cool. it Yeah, because I need to read it flat. I don't know what it is about that, which is partly why I don't like buying hardbacks, not least because like I'm not loaded. Yeah, so and expensive. also... <laughs> And also I don't like, I feel like the hardbacks I have are all non-fiction because they are, I don't know, they seem to more commonly be hardbacks. I mean, the thing is, I like having nice books, but I don't get the whole thing about being super precious about your books. I do think they're there to be enjoyed. And also I think they can be a bit of, you know, they can be a bit of a personal history that you read it. And like, as you say, like you've got the folded corners or like whatever. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, experiences you've had with the books, like, I don't know. There were, like, books I really liked when I was a child and I left them out in the rain. I've dropped one of Beth's books in the bath before. <laughs> I mean, like, stuff like that. Or, you know, ones you take on holiday and they get, like, sun bleached. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's kind of all, like, even stuff I had for uni and, like, I've read it in a very specific way and there are markings in it for those things. Yeah, I think the the ones that I most treasured because... I think I was talking to my mum about this the other day. Because, again, I was, like, talking about lending books and like would I be able to just like get rid of a lot of books if I for some reason (laughs) had to um but I think it's the ones I'm most like attached to are yeah ones from when I was a kid yeah um which are really old and I mean I'm not that old but like they're kind of like crinkly or whatever but also I feel like a bunch of the ones we studied at like GCSE or A level which are absolutely just every single page is covered in my like yeah inane annotations (laughs) yeah like that kind of thing in terms of like just basically being irreplaceable yeah those are precious maybe books have been gifts yes sometimes when they're like really thoughtful but yeah I feel like it would also be probably like expected as an English student but I'm much less attached to my non-fiction than I am my fiction like non-fiction yeah. also like um I feel like dates a lot quicker yeah give us give us three little cheeky faves from your bookshelf before we finish this section this is a shame because I'm not actually recording next to my <laughs> books at the moment. But off the top of my head, my you could probably have guessed this, but my copy of my copy of Far From the Madding Crowd from GCSE. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. You're rude. Okay, that's when I first was like, oh no, I think I like English. I think I might study it. So <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the Secret History mm-hmm. is what just one of my favorite books, and that was a gift from Anna for my birthday last year, year before. Yes. Two years ago. Oh, there's a really nice copy of. Actually, no, there's lots of them. My mum's dad had all these beautifully bound copies of like classics, which she was like, I don't think he ever read them. He got them from like, <laughs> like yeah. a library like subscription where you'd get like one delivered every month or something. Yeah. But they're like absolutely beautiful. They're so, so pretty and they're like hard bound books and they've got like ribbons of them and everything. So, mm. like, maybe one of them just for. Yeah, exactly. Give me yours. Mine would probably be Aliens and Anorexia by Chris Krauss, which is my favourite book. Uh, She wrote I Love Dick, and I really liked it. And I used some money I won, humble brag, um, to buy it 
so that's like a nice memory but also i like it but i've tried to lend it to various people but she can be quite difficult to get into i feel yeah you lent me i love dick and i really liked it so yeah if you feel like I yeah no, i will the criteria <laughs> you can lend me the other the one the bloody minimum um yeah i'd probably pick the bell jar because that's basically followed me my entire god forsaken <laughs> english career and, you know, I love it. I've still got the original copy I had when I had some very badly formed thoughts. Honestly, I was reading, just a brief interruption, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking through some old English folders because I was like, oh, I might be tutoring someone. So I was looking for some, like, example stuff. And I was reading some of the essays I wrote and I was like, I feel like I need to do some sort of, like, public, I'm so sorry to, like, every English teacher that's ever I'm, had me. Because yeah. I was looking through it and I was like, I cannot believe that I used to look at that and be like great I'm going to hand that to another human being who I will then have to face that's the thing like, I remember turning stuff in and being like smashing could not be bettered hand me the degree now like when I was in like upper sixth mm. and it is shocking it's so bad and I mean you know if that's what it takes to uh, get my A level uh, I will do it but it is horrifying to look at it again i mean uh i'm now gonna i'm gonna pick my last book please do. unstoppably and i think probably now at the moment it would be uh outlaw culture by bell hooks which i recently read and i thought was just insane it was so eye-opening and i think it's like probably some of the best pieces of cultural theory i've ever read mm. um so yeah if people have similar recommendations i will also read those but yeah, let's move on before we become knee deep in a conversation about our bookshelves. <laughs> so, what do we make of their predictions of the future? I mean, the prevalence of technology without making like the most basic and slightly moot point is obviously <laughs> like that makes sense. And also, just there's that bit where they're talking about just like the screens getting bigger and bigger and like covering the walls yeah. and things being on all the time and obviously like without sounding like a slightly kind of like grumpy mm-hmm. middle-aged man on Facebook like that does fit yeah um but the most obvious difference is the decline of printed literature like I feel isn't it it's like the if anything it's still increasing I want to say in terms of I don't think I could put a number on that but maybe no I couldn't tell you but I'm pretty sure because I think when ebooks first came out I want to say when would it have been like 2006 or 7 yeah give or take yeah I think things like stagnated ever so slightly but literally for like a year and then they picked straight back up again okay in terms of print numbers so I think the kind of idea that one medium of communication or like transmission of information is going to cause the decline of another that's definitely been disproved I would say I think the thing that struck me honestly I was watching this um that Fahrenheit 451 trailer this morning and it really struck me how out of place it looked to have this super super futuristic place and to be looking at books and being like oh my god information like I think even now books are no longer the center of information and even if the material they contain is it's like it's on the internet so I think almost I would have expected that if that I think the equivalent we're looking at today is definitely like the censorship of yeah, definitely. aspects of the internet. God, I'm sounding so conspiracy theorist. Anyway, no, it I is don't true. Think you are though, like because it's true, and it's like it's easier to. 
I think being able to be like, I don't know, like take the like Cambridge Analytica thing. Yeah. If you then say, oh, um, what am I trying to say? I feel like the environment in which the CEO of Facebook can be like, oh, it's an algorithm, but like you guys wouldn't understand it. And I'm going to do my best to like translate it to you mortals, but like you wouldn't get it. Yeah. It's like the kind of the same kind of system whereby yeah. like, obviously the whole like information is power or whatever but then Mm -hmm. also like the level of control I feel like I've gotten slightly lost in the metaphor there but I'm just trying to think of what other kind of predictions they made oh let's talk about let's talk about nuclear war you mentioned this at the top of (laughs) you mentioned this at the top soundbite um you mentioned this at the top of the episode what are your thoughts well, I mean, I thought, um, I think, I mean, first of all, like, nice word, Ray, but I don't think you truly understand how nuclear war works if you think they're all just going to be plodding off into the forest immediately afterwards. Have they got a hazmat suit? I'm just saying. Abby's uh, uncertain. I'm, I'm unsure, really, how this is going to work out. I think... While the technology to me in places seems a bit like a 1950s idea of technology, which has actually only reached like 2001, mm. I think the stuff about nuclear war, I think we are years off that being. Yeah, in terms of actually just existing cities being flattened. Yes. At like a snap of fingers. Um, yeah, I think it definitely, but then that also chimes into, like you said, the kind of like, like a very specific uh kind of socio-cultural 1950s historical yes fear of communism nuclear war the future yeah. women or whatever um <laughs> whatever whatever oh jess it was so fascinating to talk to you <laughs> no need to laugh at the end of it to make it sound like that's ironic but i'm sorry likewise um, okay. <laughs> could you tell uh, our dedicated and ardent listeners how to find us on socials? Uh, I can. We are Did the Reading Pod on all social medias, and you can also email us with any questions, any thoughts, if you'd like us to keep it brief, um, at didthereadingpod at gmail.com. Um, Fantastic. All right. See you next week. See you next week, Bye. and thank you for listening.